Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West, you are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show. Live and on your radio, ladies and gentlemen, I am Sam Bushman. Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org is with me. This is indeed Liberty Roundtable Live. Yeah. It's already February the 26th of the year of our Lord, 2024. This is our two at two. The goal always to promote God, family, and country, to protect life, liberty, and property, to do so on your radio in the traditions of our founding fathers, standing for the restored United States of America. Just imagine if we had that happening right now. Woo-wee. Constitutional, no secret combinations, just good, honest Americans standing for liberty and the proper role of constitutional government. Wouldn't it be a blessing and a half? But no, ladies and gentlemen, they're undermining us at every turn. Lowell Nelson's with me. Welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Glad to be here, Sam. Good to be with you. Thank you. Ron Paul sent an email. We kind of hinted at it last hour a little bit. We need to dig in deeper, though. We sure do, Sam. Everybody in Washington, D.C. knows that warrantless mass surveillance is unpopular. Definitely unpopular. Not only that, it's unconstitutional. (laughs) Yeah, and that's why they're so afraid of a clean vote, what, what Ron is calling a clean vote on the House floor to end these warrantless mass surveillance under the 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. That's FISA. Everybody calls that FISA or FISA. Well, Section 702 FISA you know, says, basically, the government can snoop, they can surveil all communications between uh, you know, foreign entities. Well, they don't know whether who you're calling is foreign or not, so they surveil your call no matter who you call. And they record it, and they store that in, in data bunkers like the one in uh, here in Utah County, or, or Salt Lake County, Draper. Bluffdale. Uh, yeah, Draper, Bluffdale. Yeah, Bluffdale, yep. And, uh, and so that's it's patently unconstitutional. They shouldn't be doing this. I mean, they've been doing it for years. Every single text, uh, social media post, email, phone call, radio show, podcast. Yeah, they should be going to prison everything. over these people. Absolutely. Well, so Ron Paul sent an email warning us that, look, guys, they're going to vote on this this week, and we need to put the pressure on them to get a clean vote on whether or not to, to sunset this Section 702 or not, whether to extend it or not. Now, all the leadership back in Congress, they want to extend it, but they know that that they that, that vote will fail to extend if uh, well unless this provision is stuck in some omnibus bill that's like a must vote for type of omnibus bill and so speaker mike johnson is not in a, going to let section 702 die like it should and so they're trying to put the section 702 probably in a funding bill I mean, almost everybody. Yeah, they want a huge must-pass bill that they got to do this with to try to, you know, make sure that people can't really focus on this piece. That's the that's the deal, right? Absolutely right, right. Why don't we see if we can just call Mike Johnson on the air right now, Lizzie? Can you make a phone call and put it on the air right now? That'd be awesome. Can you do that? All right, I'm waiting for Lizzie here. Yeah, understood. Can you make a phone call and put it on the air right now? Here's the number, 202-225-3121. It's the capital switchboard. That's 202-225-3121. If you put it on, I'll just talk to them, and I'll get them to transmit a mic. 202-225-3121. All right, we're going to go ahead and try to make this call. I'm going to talk to the capital switchboard and talk to Mike Johnson's office. 
Yes, that would be in, it'd be fantastic. And see Mike if we Johnson. can't just put this uh, phone call on here and, and see if we can talk to him directly and just, you know, hey, we the people don't want this. And Ron Paul's article highlights this at the very start. The people don't want it, and Congress knows. The people in Washington know we don't want it. And that's why they're trying to do all this stuff in secret. It's a, it's a disgrace. Because everyone in Washington, D.C. knows we don't want it. Shouldn't they stand up for what we want if they represent us? But you know what? They're undermining it because they, want, they have a different agenda. Right? All right, is that call going through, Lizzie? All right, I guess we're still working on this here. Um, it, it should be fairly easy to... Okay, go ahead and put them on and just live, and I'll just talk to them. They- Confirming. That was Senator... Tim Scott. Did I get that right? No. Mike Johnson. All right. Anyway, we'll just have to move along. This just isn't going to work out, I guess. Uh, All right. um, Anyway, all I can tell you is it's a shame and you all need to call your congressmen and senators. 202-225-3121 and literally get a hold of your senator, your house representative, your congressman. Say, you know what? This this is an absolute disgrace. Shame on you for trying to put FISA in secret and put it in an omnibus spending (laughs) bill. Reject it immediately. That's what they need to do. Confirming. (laughs) That was represented. Please hold while I connect your call. All right. Good. Sorry. Extension number six. Seven zero three five. I've never seen this before. Just hang up on that. I I don't know why. When I call the Capitol, a person answers every time. But anyway, um, I don't know. Maybe they're not answering the phone because too many people are calling in. Lol. I don't know. All I know is we've got to stand against this boldly, and we've got to shut down Johnson. Shame on him for this. He pitched himself as a constitutional Christian. He flat out lied, and now he's literally secretly in a secret combination undermining we the American people. Yeah, that's a huge problem, Sam. He needs to hear from us big time. So everybody, after the show, please call Congress and especially Mike Johnson's office and let him know that we want a clean vote on this mass surveillance, warrantless uh, surveillance that's going on. Uh, Section 702 of FISA Act. Yeah, anyway. All right, well, why don't we try one more time? Dial that number and if I can just talk to the to the thing, just put it on there. Then I will uh, talk to it and see if I can get through. They, they've got now. They don't have a person answering like they normally do. It's some automated thing, and uh, that's what's giving us a little bit of trouble here, I guess. So, the reason I'm not talking is because I don't want it to go out in the weeds when it gets on. Yeah. You've reached the United States Capitol switchboard. Please say the name of the senator or representative that you are trying to reach. Or Mike Johnson. Say, I'm not sure. Connecting you to the Office of Representative, Mike Johnson. Styling. Yeah, I'm sorry. No. Extension number 67035 didn't answer. You've reached the voicemail of Honorable M. Johnson, main line 2. Please leave a message. All right, my name is Sam Bushman. I'm a nationally syndicated radio talk show host. Me and my listeners would like to clearly call in and be very clear about this. We want an absolute shutdown. Let 702 of FISA expire. Publicly stand against it. Do not vote and or work in secret to pass this or expand this. Do not let this be part of a huge omnibus spending bill. Either shut it down entirely, or if it must come up for a vote, make it a single-issue item. 
where it's up or down and we can see who voted for what. You owe this to us, Mike Johnson. We ask you to please do this. And by the way, this call is being recorded by you, but it's also live, nationally syndicated on the radio. We pray that you'll do the right thing and stand up for God, family, and country. That's what you were elected to do, and we pray you keep your oath of office, sir. Thank you so much. All right, we can go ahead and disconnect that. What do you think of that, Lowell? Yeah, splendid, Sam. That's exactly the message we need to send, and and hundreds of us need to do that very same thing. And so uh, I will be doing it after the show, Sam. Thank you for uh, setting the example here for us. Thank you. All right, and thanks, Lizzie. The problem is that they instead of having a normal capital switchboard or whatever, it got all wonky because it went out in the weeds, and then Lizzie would try to put it up, and then I'd say something trying to just not have dead air on the radio, and then that was sending it out in the weeds, and <laughs> I didn't expect that. Usually they answer the phone now. Maybe they're getting so many calls they're afraid to answer now. Again, that's what, also what they do, too. Is they, For example, why is nobody answering Mike Johnson's office phone? Literally, ladies and gentlemen, at 11.14 a.m. Eastern time in the middle of a Monday, why is nobody answering his phone? Why is yeah. nobody answering the switchboard capital or the capital switchboard? Why is no one at the helm here? Well, it just goes to show they don't want to hear from we the people. That's why. That's what's going on. All right, moving right along to the most, almost one of the most scary stories I've ever heard of in my life, Lowell. Wow, this uh, knock your socks off, Sam. Medical staff ordered to euthanize COVID patients. And this coming is coming from leaked documents. Documents leaked from the National Health Service in the UK, in the United Kingdom. Uh, the uh, let me, I'm going to quote a little bit of this article here. Explosive leaked documents have emerged that show medical staff were ordered to euthanize patients who had been admitted to hospital and tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, Sam, this report has sent shockwaves around the world after an investigation into the high numbers of COVID deaths, quote-unquote, during the pandemic uncovered evidence that tens of thousands of elderly people were actually murdered to boost the mortality rates. Continuing the quote here from the article, the data provided for the report indicated that people were being euthanized using a fatal injection of mitazolam. The cause of their deaths was then listed as COVID, indicating that the virus was killing far more elderly people than it was. The explosive data from the report was made public by Australian politician Craig Kelly, the national directory of the United Australia Party. According to Kelly, the patients were euthanized in order to boost COVID deaths, quote unquote, and ramp up public fear to garner support for lockdowns and vaccines, end of quote. So Frank Bergman authored this news story, Sam, and it appeared on on slaynews.com. Slay like in Slay the Dragon, slaynews.com. He characterized it as, quote, the crime of the century, end quote, and, and I would agree. Uh, he goes on to say, quote, these deaths were then falsely blamed on COVID, which was the basis of the public fear campaigns used to justify the lockdowns and mass mandated injections of the public, including children, with an experimental medical intervention that had zero long-term safety data. He said, Kelly said in a post on X alongside copies of the data, along the way, a small group pushing the need for mass mandated injections made billions. 
This paper shows that the UK spike in deaths wrongly attributed to COVID-19 in April of 2020 was not due to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which was largely absent, but was due to the widespread use of mitazolam injections, which were statistically very highly correlated with a coefficient over 90% with excess deaths in all regions of England during 2020. The widespread and persistent use of mitazolam in the UK suggests a possible policy of systemic euthanasia. Now, further evidence has emerged to confirm that medical staff were ordered to inject patients with the deadly mitazolam as part of this disturbing agenda. I'll end the quote there for the moment. But, you know, what would be really interesting now, Sam, is for medical staff to come forward and admit that they were ordered to inject patients with mitazolam. Um, uh, Bergman continues his article here, quote, Mitazolam can cause serious or life-threatening breathing problems. The issues include shallow, slowed, or temporarily stopped breathing. This can lead to permanent brain injury or death. In the UK, regulators state that you should only receive mitazolam in a hospital or doctor's office that has the equipment that is needed to monitor your heart and lungs and to provide life-saving medical treatment quickly if your breathing slows or stops. However, the drug is criminally used in palliative care in the United Kingdom. End quote. Yeah, that's palliative care, by the way. Palliative, uh, and, yeah. Yeah, palliative care. People need to understand a little bit of what that is. Uh, what's that care when you have six months to live that you go into called? Hospice. Okay, so palliative care, just so you know, precedes hospice. When we know that you're terminal, Lowell, uh, and we know that uh, you're eventually going to need hospice, hospice has kind of a six-month general guideline for it. And it, it doesn't mean that you can only live six months, but it's, it's really moved. So it's kind of elevated staged care. Palliative care precedes hospice. I know so much mm. about this because I have a friend that's going through it, and I'm kind of one of his help caregivers. We help take care of his finances and all kind of different things. And so I'm very involved in these meetings with it. I also used to sell health insurance. And, and anyway, so I know quite a bit about it. But palliative care precedes hospice. And it's because we're not really ready to escalate things as hospice would. Um, we're merely trying to say <laughs> let's, let's make things as comfortable as possible as you uh, deteriorate to where you're ready for hospice. So that's what palliative care is, just so you know. That's good, good to know. Really good to know. It's um, when you're terminal, but you precede hospice based on right. guidelines set up by governments. That's that's basically what it is. And, and so when when Bergman writes here that it's used illegally in uh, the UK, it's he says the drug is criminally used in palliative care in the United Kingdom. And so... By criminally, I think what he means is that it's illegal to use mitazolam in palliative care in the United Kingdom. And it has, and it's widespread. It's it's done in a widespread manner. Uh, another article about this I read was the fact that mitazolam was ordered in huge quantities, unprecedented quantities in 2020. Uh, by by hospitals. Yeah, and the question is, where did it all go, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah. And, and you could just follow the money. You follow the drugs in this case. But let me explain the difference in palliative care and, and hospice a little bit further so you understand. When it's hospice, mm -hmm. it's not kill the patient, but it is let's do everything we can to keep them comfortable while they gracefully die is the idea. In palliative mm -hmm. care, you're not ready to gracefully die. That's why you're not in hospice. And that's why it's clearly illegal because you're literally escalating someone's death intentionally against natural um, 
the natural process is the best way to describe it. You're literally escalating someone's death is what you're doing in palliative care. That's wrong, and it goes against the whole palliative care initiative. And Bergman put it this way. He said, quote, they were put on end-of-life care, which involved withdrawing their medication, depriving them of food and water, pumping them full of mitazolam and morphine until they died of starvation and dehydration. Their deaths were then recorded as being caused by COVID. Evidence suggests that mitazolam was used to prematurely end the lives of tens of thousands of people in the UK. End of quote. And so, uh, of course, the public was told these people died of COVID. And, and uh, of course, they weren't allowed to visit their their relatives in the hospital, right? I mean, there was a there was a time in 2020 that that you could not go see someone in the hospital. Uh, they, they they locked you out, even if they're your own family. They had to die in in uh, isolation. You couldn't go visit them. Well, obviously, you know, a lot of them were probably on this mitazolam, and they were being killed. Uh, and, and notice, Sam, that the respiratory systems of COVID. Notice how closely they resemble the adverse side effects of mitazolam, right? You, if you get mitazolam, you're going to have problems breathing. You have respiratory problems. Well, that's that matches the uh, the symptoms of COVID, respiratory problems. So I don't know, Sam. This is a huge, huge story. Well, it's you're an explosive gonna... around the world report, ladies and gentlemen, and we really need to start to dig in to say what did this happen in the United States as well? Where did this occur? Okay, if we look at the big, um, I don't know how to say this medication. What is it again? Uh, mitazolam. Mitazolam. Okay, uh, there was a ton of mitazolam, you know, purchased or whatever you want to say, put in the pipeline. Was it done in the United States too? Because we know that they use remdesivir a lot of times to kill people too, right? Yeah, remdesivir would would hurt the kidneys uh, big time. And uh, it sounds like this mitazolam hurts the respiratory system big time. So there are probably a number of... Oh, man. You can't describe the, the depth of darkness associated with this type of thinking. But apparently this is, I mean, I read the report myself, Sam. I went to the National Health Service or NHS, whatever it is, and read the very report. It's the PDF I linked in the show notes here. But that's and in Australia, is, right? Um, it's a, no, it's a report out of UK, but brought to light by this uh, gentleman from Australia. I so, see. Yeah, yeah. The National Health Institute is the one that published it, and they're in the UK. And it was supposed to be covered up. It was supposed to not get out, but it has been leaked. Now, I don't know who leaked it, and I'm sure that uh, the authorities are, are mad. Well, I hope heck. we don't find out who leaked it. They'll end up like Julian Assange. Yeah, I mean, that's the price you pay of being a whistleblower, apparently. But, uh, I mean, kudos to whoever leaked this report, because it is a damning report. It's just a uh, fatal it, injection is what they're calling it, ladies and gentlemen. This is just absolute diabolical evil. This is just uh, uh, you can't even make this stuff up. It's that that crazy. Yeah. Anyway, terrible, we'll bring terrible. that to your attention and we'll keep an eye on that ball just for you. We need to find out more. Uh, as Lowell wisely said, hey, let's start having whistleblowers come forward and say, yeah, I was told to to uh, inject this or I was this or I was that. Or, you know, I know that people were and here's the docs or whatever. It'd be very easy to bring this forward now with this report. Because all you've got to do is just kind of bring truth to power on it. And that's what we're advocating for next. Let whistleblowers come to the table and say, yes, yes, yes. You also wonder these drugs, whether it's remdesivir or um, this other, what's it called? Sorry. 
Midazolam. Midazolam. I'm so sorry. It's hard to, these words are spelled weird and stuff. Anyway, Midazolam, you kind of wonder, hey, we need to do studies too where they saw these strange blood clots and strange, uh, weird, I don't know what you call them, long things in people's <laughs> bloods in, in autopsy reports. You wonder how much that contributes to this as well, Lowell. Yeah, that long fibrous uh, material right. in the bloodstreams or in the arteries. Is that a result of this medication? Because that would prove that being involved more too. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right, probably well, the spike proteins that were causing those fibrous materials. But um, it's yeah. anyway, Don, uh, sobering. Donald. Yeah, sobering Donald, to say the least, Sam. <laughs> we'll 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 get more. I'll watch that. But you, you know, people can read that on slaynews.com, the article, and then you can go to the source document, the public report out of the UK, and uh, and kudos to um, to those who are bringing this to light. And I have slaynews.com in the show notes, too, so be ready for that, folks. If you guys didn't have the chance to write it down, you can go to libertyroundtable.com, look at the show notes, and get that easily as kind of a refresher uh, as well. Donald Trump being abused. If the former president of the United States uh, is being abused like this, just think about the rest of us as we discuss this story, Lowell. <laughs> Judge Andrew Napolitano, he wrote another really great column that is posted at ronpaulinstitute.org. Um, quote, last week, a New York court ordered the Trump organization and its principals, including the former president, to forfeit nearly $400 million to the state government. This gargantuan punishment was not for any crime committed or any harm caused by the defendants. Rather, it was government theft at its worst. End of quote. That's how he opens the article. So in this column, Judge Napolitano is going to explain some American jurisprudence to us, and some of which I'd never heard before, Sam, so I, I do think it's important to discuss. He writes that the U.S. Supreme Court Justice Benjamin Cardoza described the basic principle of tort law as, quote, wrong first and remedy afterwards, end of quote, which is based on the common law understanding that an injured party can only seek damages for a wrong actually caused. He writes that the legal and philosophical essence of wrongness is harm. In other words, if it harms someone or something, then it is wrong. I mean, that's a fundamental belief here in our Anglo-American uh, jurisprudence. Now, the law doesn't worry about theoretical wrongs. It only worries about wrongs that have caused palpable and measurable harm. The rational corollary, then, is to, to, uh, or to harm first, remedy last, is that where there is no harm, there can be no remedy. Well, Sam, this is the essence of his column. Where there is no harm, there can be no remedy. Yeah, there's well, no way to write something that didn't occur. You can't write yeah. a wrong that didn't happen, right? Exactly. And then Napolitano outlines another principle called the causation principle. He says this principle teaches that not all wrongdoing justifies a remedy. Only those wrongdoings where a duty is owed and breached and where the breached caused measurable damages. So he says that law students memorize this one line, duty, breach, causation, damages. And so I, I guess that's a mantra that law students uh, memorize. Yeah, I've it's never their heard duty before. to discover and determine a breach. If there is a breach, yeah. their duty is to... Uh, determine if it caused damages. It's very and if simple. If there's damages, then remedy. Then there must be a remedy. Yep, yep. That's right. It's very, very appropriate, I think. It's a, a maxim of our American uh, jurisprudence, and I like it. 
He says the causation principle requires that the breach duty must be one that the defendant owed to the plaintiff. That's, that's what duty means, right? In other words, Sam, if I punch you in the nose, you can sue me for the pain that I caused you and any permanent injury. But your buddy, Kirk Crosby, cannot sue me because he was not harmed. Very simple, Sam. Very straightforward. And I love the way Judge Napolitano uh, explains this, uh, which we can get to more after the break. You got it. Liberty Roundtable Live in seconds on your favorite talk station. Lowell Nelson, campaignforliberty.org. the land. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News. I'm Ryan Daniels. Former President Trump is celebrating a widely anticipated Republican primary victory in South Carolina. He spoke to a crowd of supporters after the results were tallied Saturday. This was a little sooner than we anticipated. It was... An even bigger win than we anticipated. Challenger Nikki Haley says she'll stay in the GOP race until at least Super Tuesday, which is next week. Some politicos want him to step up and potentially challenge for the Democratic presidential nomination, but California Governor Gavin Newsom says he's all in for a second Biden term in the White House. What he's done in three years has been a master class, close to 15 million jobs. That's eight times more than the last three Republican presidents combined. Speaking on NBC's Meet the Press, meanwhile, the Trump campaign continues to push messages about the U.S. economy and how it was humming under his administration prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. One Republican, one Democrat are working together to try and get a multi-billion dollar foreign aid bill through the U.S. House of Representatives. It was introduced as a cheaper version of the $95 billion measure passed by the Democratic-controlled U.S. Senate earlier this month. Normally, um, any kind of discharge like that would take 30 days to even be considered ripe. We figured out a way with the parliamentarian to expedite that to a seven-day period. Pennsylvania Representative Brian Fitzpatrick co-authored the bill. Maine Democrat Jared Golden is working with him on getting it to the House floor for a vote. We need to find a way to get a deal that gets us to 218. I think a deal like that has to grow out of the middle. Both lawmakers offered the update on CBS's Face the Nation. There are widespread fire weather concerns in the central U.S. ahead of a larger storm front. Red flag warnings are being posted in areas from West Texas to Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, and northern Illinois. This is USA News. Okay, I'm talking funny because I'm in the witness protection program. I have too much credit card debt and I don't want people to find me. Okay, I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about credit card debt. Right, those plastic things that we all have in our wallet. Are you in your 50s or 60s and you're still carrying around a mound of credit card debt? Wouldn't it be nice to start banking that money and save a little money for retirement down the road? We help people restructure their credit card debt all the time. We show people how they can get out of credit Credit card debt in months, not years. Listen, you'll be carrying around credit card debt for the rest of your life unless you deal with it right now. We offer a free consultation so you can learn how you can finally wipe out your credit card debt and start saving money. Give us a free call right now. Call Debt Solutions Network now. 866-451-3328. 866-451-3328. That's 866-451-3328. 
the spirit of the American West is live and well in Range Magazine, the award-winning quarterly devoted to the issues affecting the American West. Each issue contains informative articles, breathtaking imagery, as well as the culture of cowboy spirit today, and gift ideas like the 2021 Real Buckaroo Calendar. Order online from rangemagazine.com. Loving Liberty Network salutes the spirit of the American West at rangemagazine.com. Decades after Jimmy Carter, Joe Biden picked up where he left off with America surrendering to terrorists. Biden's foolish spending is causing inflation, which means more pain at the pump, higher prices on groceries, devaluing your retirement savings when you need it most. Once was a mistake, twice is a disaster. America needs strong leaders, not weak ones. Save America JFC is responsible for the content of this advertising. Have you ever had great honey? No, I mean really good, all-natural, raw honey? Well, now you can, thanks to localhoneyman.com. We can ship out our locally made honey all across the U.S. So don't worry, you won't miss out. Plus, Local Honey Man has so many different flavors, like Utah Wildflower, High Desert Delight, Happy Valley, and Blackberry, just to name a few. So purchase your delicious raw honey today at localhoneyman.com. Do you treasure your liberty? Well, at LovingLiberty.net, we most certainly do. And we want to help protect your liberty, too. Become part of the family. Everyone knows that the core of any society is the family. Therefore, the government should foster and protect the integrity of its family. We the people. Won't you join us as a Loving Liberty sponsor to help us promote the principles in the 5,000-year leap? Let's restore the miracle that changed the world at LovingLiberty.net. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Liberty Roundtable Live. You are listening to Sam Bushman, your host, and my name is Lowell Nelson. I have the opportunity, the blessed opportunity, to be with Sam here on the radio, 9 o'clock Monday mornings. And no matter how you're listening to this recording before or during or after, we welcome you to Liberty Roundtable Live. The, we've been talking about uh, several very, very important things this morning. Number one, the importance of calling Congress and letting Speaker Mike Johnson know that we want a clean vote on this uh, this extension to uh, of Section 702 of FISA. We don't want mass warrantless surveillance. We want them to end it now, and they're going to have a vote on it this week. Ron Paul brought that to our attention. And then we turn to an article by Slay News, where it's talking about the euthanizing of thousands, tens of thousands of uh, people, elderly people in the U.K., and now we're talking about the the Trump, the travesty of justice in the Trump suit in New York. Uh, it's a column by Andrew, Judge Andrew Napolitano, and he he first explained uh, some some fundamental principles of an Anglo-American jurisprudence, which is this uh, first idea is this duty breach causation damages. Right, if you have a duty uh, to towards somebody and you break that duty or breach that duty. And if that causes damages, then you then must you may seek a remedy. But if there is no damage, then you may not seek a remedy. There's there's nothing to to, to remedy if if there's no damage. And so um, 
This is the way that tort law has been practiced and understood for more than 600 years, Andrew Napolitano says. And then he asks the question, what role should the government play? And he says, well, it should be a, they should provide a neutral and credible forum for the resolution of the dispute. A forum, that's all. However, he writes, quote, were the government to enter the dispute as a litigant, or were the government to claim some harm where none existed, it would do violence to these basic legal principles. It would impair my natural and constitutional rights to own property, and if successful, it would constitute theft for its own benefit. End of quote. Well, folks, that is exactly what occurred in the New York courtroom last week. The state of New York was the government, and the Trump organizations and its principles were the defendants. Was the government harmed? No. The government was not harmed, although they did argue that Trump's corporation was not fully accurate in its loan applications and thus was charged a lower interest rate on the loans than it should have been charged had it been accurate. Now think about now, this for a second, Let me stop there, folks. though, and say to you that yeah. they're lying. Just so you know, I used to be a mortgage broker for residential and commercial mortgages, Lowell. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot about this. You don't make claims of evaluations in mortgage applications. Now you can say, well, Sam, wait a minute, on commercial you do. Uh, you highlight what your rental this and that is, or you highlight this and that. That's all true, but it's all contractual in nature. So mm -hmm. if I say to you that this rent is this much in a contract, then I got to show proof of about 12 months consistent uh, that, you know what, I've been receiving the payments that I claim. If I say that, hey, this rental is full and it brings this rent, I've got to show the contract and then show the deposits in my account proving. Okay, every item in a loan has a, an audit trail has a, a, a line item in the, in the documentation to back up what we claim. If I say that I'm employed, they say, here, here's a verification of employment. We called his employer. They say he's this and he makes this. Then I got pay stubs to double back that up. Third parties are the ones that, that do their own due diligence on evaluations of properties. The government is absolutely fraudulently lying on this till the cows come home, 100%. And the banks even double down and prove that in court, lol. That's right. The banks said that he, Trump uh, paid him back every penny that he borrowed. Uh, they were perfectly fine with the rate uh, of the interest, uh, I mean the interest rate on the loans, and they, they said we would gladly lend to him again. That's what they told the court. Uh, quoting the article, he said, uh, Trump paid back every dime they loaned to him with interest, and the banks told the court that Trump was such a good customer that gladly lend to him again, end quote. And so you have a bank and you have the Trump Organization, two private entities. They make a deal. They execute a contract. The bank says, we'll loan you this much money if you pay this much back, right? It's a, it's a, it's a contract between those two parties. And Trump Organization fulfilled its contract. The bank fulfilled its part of the contract. Both parties were and pleased the third parties, with the outcome. Hold on. The third parties that, that doubled down and assessed the evaluation delivered on their part as well. That's Their whole exactly point right. is, what's it worth, and can he pay it back? And the answer is yes and yes. And the, it, So the third party even doubled down uh, on this by their evaluations, and they're standing by them. That's right. They did their own due diligence on the value of the assets that Trump pledged, and they told the court that they were satisfied with Trump's valuations. Right. So the bank satisfied the assessors are or I mean, those who made the valuations, they're satisfied. The Trump organization satisfied very uh, 
um, what do you say, copacetic uh, re, uh, our, a contract among private parties. And then the government of New York steps in and says, oh, but if, um, if, uh, if Trump had valued his assets appropriately, then he would not have gotten such a, a, a low interest rate on the money that he borrowed. And you know what they claim next, Sam? The government argued that if Trump had borrowed less money, you know, because the buildings pledged as security were worth less than he claimed, he said the banks would have had more reserves available to lend to others. Ha! <laughs> well, this is nonsense, as you know, Sam, because banks get their cash from the Federal Reserve, and they have more than enough money to lend. I mean, when is the last time you went into a bank, asked for money, and they said, "Ah, oh, sorry, we don't have that much money." Yeah, huh. I, I'd lend you, I'd lend you on your house, lol. But the Donald factor played in. I don't have any money to lend you, sir. Yeah, it Trump isn't borrowed true. It's way a lie. too much money. It's a bald-faced lie. Trump borrowed too much money, so we don't have any. And not only that, it, the other side of the coin could be argued too. If Donald did get a loan and he is paying it back successfully, that paying it back plus interest is where the more money comes from for other loans. And the fact that he paid stellar, the fact that he paid on time and paid every penny back, proves that that's how they make money. Otherwise, you might as well say, well, they shouldn't be able to do very many loans because, okay, they want to do as many loans as they can do that, that float, that makes sense, right? Yeah, because that's, it gives them more cash to lend. <laughs> it's, it's funny how that works, but this is a debt-based society, right? And, and, and so, so what did Trump do with the money that he borrowed? Did he just put it in a shoebox and hide it? Well, no way. He used it to develop New York City real estate, and those developments created thousands of new jobs and much new wealth. And so, Sam, this not only is that, a huge... the taxes, if he evaluates it too high, all that means is the taxes are more too, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. So it's a huge travesty of justice, Sam. Napolitano concludes his article by saying, by writing, quote, by rejecting established legal principles, this case has done more harm to the rule of law than any misstatement of asset worth has done to the banks. The government enacted a statute that permitted it to, to, to claim harm where none existed and then steal from a wealthy entity, comma, and a judge who has sworn to uphold the Constitution let the government get away with it, end of quote. Sam, I, it just boggles the mind. We've got, and now they're uh, threatening to take away Trump's assets if he doesn't come up with the money as timely as they expect I, as well. Oh, it's a huge travesty of justice. That's, I, I'm just a loss of, of any other words to describe the injustice that's being wrought in the state of New York by the state. Well, the of bottom New line York. is bottom line is we need to push for accountability and, and, and prosecute for criminal activity. That's the bottom line. And these people have committed criminal acts and they need to be prosecuted and removed from their positions. I wonder if there would be a sheriff in New York with the guts to, to, to uh, uh, indict this, the government of New York, the, the public servants in New York that are uh, causing this injustice. That would be awesome, wouldn't it, Sam? It certainly would, ladies and gentlemen, and we need more of that. All I'm telling you is this is a travesty. We'll keep an eye on this ball, though. Donald Trump just filed his appeal about this, by the way. So oh, we'll good. keep an eye on that ball. Good, good. Well, that's all I want to say about that article. I just appreciate Napolitano's treatment of the subject because in my mind before now, it was all kind of a blur. I didn't really understand the issues that was that were being litigated, but now I do. And it is, it is uh, terrible what the state of New York yeah. has done. And I'm just Trump telling you from a mortgage broker, though, 
There's no mm-hmm. way Donald can hoodwink everybody about the evaluations of properties and evaluations of assets. That's just an absolute lie. Third parties verify that. And they yeah. do all kinds of approaches in terms of the evaluations and everything else. And all you got to do is go look through the loan file to see, hey, when they made this claim, what was used to back up that claim? A third-party appraisal? Great. What approaches were used in that business appraisal on that uh, business property and stuff like that? This is very easy to determine. And if anybody um, changed the evaluation without the documentation necessary or the, the evaluations to do so, it would be a third party at the least. But because Donald paid every penny back plus interest, even if they did make a mistake on the evaluations, it harmed no one. Go ahead and skip the break. It harmed no one because Donald paid it back nevertheless. <laughs> So it's just absolutely fraudulent by the government. All right, the guy's name is Jerry Sheridan. He's a hero. Lol. Well, yesterday I received an email from Richard Mack, who is president of the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, the CSPOA. And Sam, I happen to know that you are the uh, director of that organization. Um, I'm the CEO Richard- of CSPOA. CEO, right. And and Richard is the president. I'm good friends with Richard. I'm good friends with you, Sam. And and Richard just sent me a personal email. He, he invited me to check out a sheriff candidate in Maricopa County named Jerry Sheridan. Uh, this is what he wrote to me, Sam. He says, I wanted you to know, Lowell, that we have a sheriff candidate here in Maricopa County who is the real deal. He came to our CSPOA seminar in 2017 and he won the primary four years ago. However, the Democrat won because he was funded with millions of dollars by Soros. But that sheriff just resigned, which leaves Sheridan in the driver's seat. He can and should win this. Maricopa County Sheriff's Office is the fourth largest sheriff's office in the United States. And this will be huge for the CSPOA and for America. Yeah, it's the third or fourth largest based on Houston and and Maricopa County um, basically battle back and forth uh, to see Mm -hmm. which one. It just depends on the populations at the time, but it's the third or fourth largest. They kind of go neck and neck and and battle back and forth for that third space or third slot, Mm -hmm. by the way, in terms of large counties in the country. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he says, uh, Lowell, I'm working as a volunteer for him because I know how vital his election will be to, all, uh, to us all. If there's any way you could make a donation, please do so at SheridanForSheriff2024.com. End of quote. So I will be doing just that, Sam, and I invite our listeners to do the same. I'm not asking uh, you to do anything. Uh, I'm not asking you to do something I'm not willing to do myself, bottom line. The website is Sheridan and then the digit four sheriff and then the year 2024.com. So that's Sheridan for sheriff 2024.com. Now, Sam, do you know Jerry? You probably met him in 2017, right? I know Jerry, and I've had him on the radio and TV with me. I know him. I've researched his uh, details and his credentials and everything else. The guy is, is the real deal, as Sheriff Mac wisely tells you. Uh, I support him without reservation a hundred or a thousand percent, let's say that. Uh, and I publicly endorse him for sheriff of Maricopa County. Now, I'm not in that county, so I can't vote for him or else I would. But I'm telling you right now, I'll raise money for him. I'll do everything that I can to see his success because he's for real. He's true blue. And when you get that together and you get the third, fourth largest county with a constitutional sheriff, you're gaining some real ground, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm telling you right now, Jerry Sheridan is for real. I really enjoyed looking through his website last night. His family moved to Arizona when Jerry was a senior in high school. 
So after graduating from high school, Jerry entered the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office Reserve Deputy Academy and in that off and served in the sheriff's office for almost 40 years, Sam, spanning four decades, like 37, 38, 39 years. I mean, a long time in the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. Um, one other fun little anecdote from his website uh, I, I, I find very interesting. He wrote, he writes this, quote, it was also one late night on patrol while at a barricade subject situation that his life changed forever. He's talking about his life. Okay, he met his wife, Stacy. Uh, Stacy was the daughter of one of the other deputies, and they have been inseparable best friends for more than 30 years of marriage. <laughs> they have two daughters, two grandchildren, and a great son-in-law. Turns out, Sam, the daughter was coming home and was unaware of the barricade, and she, she waltzed in uh, into the line of fire, potential line of fire, and so Jerry jumped uh, from his position and and whisked and grabbed her, whisked her out of the potential line of fire to a safe location because they had this uh, this area of the house barricaded, uh, this area of the block barricaded. Well, she unknowingly, unknowingly waltzed in to a very dangerous situation where she could have lost her life. So, anyway, that's how Jerry yeah, that, met that's his a, wife. You know, you you say, "Hey, tell us how you met." You say that to another couple, and you hear this story, and you just go, "That is a, that is <laughs> the classic Prince rescue scenario, isn't it?" But it's for real, yeah. it, lol. It's really true. Yeah, really. Yeah, that was a great, great, really great anecdote. I, I loved reading that. Um, and then, and then uh, later in his career, see, this is where Sheriff Joe Arpaio was sheriff in Maricopa County. And, uh, and so one day, uh, Sheriff Arpaio asked him to, to come in and visit with him. And he, he wondered, what in the heck does Sheriff Arpaio want to do with me, you know? Well, it turns out that Sheriff Arpaio wanted him to be chief of patrol. He wanted Jerry to do two things. First, to make sure his deputies were out arresting all the bad guys they could while taking good care of all the citizens who needed ordinary help, like changing someone's tire or getting a cat out of a tree. <laughs> and then second, make sure the deputies were having fun doing job number one. <laughs> I just love that. Uh, and, and so Jerry accepted the assignment. He worked for Sheriff Arpaio for many, many years. And, and he delivered, uh, just, by the way, lol. Uh, oh, yeah. Fantastic. Great, great, great track record there, Sam. So I, I, I'm going to send him a check, Sam. I'm going to make a, a sizable donation to Jerry Sheridan. And uh, I would invite our listeners to do the same. Check out his website, uh, uh, Sheridan4Sheriff2024.com. And uh, let's get this good man elected, Sam. And all the numbers that we talk about, 4 and 2024, all of its digits, all of its numbers. That's exactly right. Sheridan, so you know. the digit 4, Sheriff, the digits 2024.com. He's for real. You can volunteer. You can donate. I'm just telling you right now that I put my stamp of approval on it, just as Richard Mack does. The guy's uh, an absolute blessing uh, to have. And, you know, where Richard Mack lives in Gilbert, Arizona right now is kind of a unique place. One, they're working on a great sheriff for Maricopa County, the third or fourth largest county in the country. But they're also there's a guy running for mayor of Gilbert, Arizona, that's a constitutionalist that we've had on radio and TV as well. So if those two win together, you'll have a city and a county. With true blue constitutionalists at the helm, this is something we haven't seen in, I'd say, our lifetimes, Lowell. Hopefully they both win. We're going to be pushing for it, for sure. Does Gilbert reside in the county of Maricopa? I think so, yeah. It's a town. Okay, cool. That would be awesome. 
Yeah. All right, we got a final story. It's a con-con. I'm telling you, it's a con. Lol. <laughs> the con-con is a con. Absolutely right, Sam. See, on the ex- on the agenda of the... Uh, okay, so this story relates to Utah. Well, it relates to uh, all the states, really, in the union, but it's centered here in Utah because the Executive Appropriations Committee of the Utah Legislature had on their Monday, February 12th agenda a request for an appropriation of $50,000 by Representative Kay Christofferson to pay for membership in the Phoenix Correspondence Commission. Now, so let's, uh, let's parse that out just a little bit. Uh, in 2017, there was a simulated convention in Phoenix, Arizona to propose rules and procedures in preparation for a future convention of states. There was a number of Utah legislatures that attended and uh, basically they had a, a, a good time down there and they formalized what they called the Phoenix Correspondence Commission. It turns out this commission meets three to four times a year. It employs one part-time employee, the director probably, and each state is asked to pitch in $50,000 or whatever they can to accelerate the work. So what's the work of the Phoenix Commission? They want a CONCON, a Constitutional Convention. Well, on the application for this request of money, uh, Section 4 of the request asks this question. Who would benefit from this request? Representative Christofferson answered, quote, Yeah, this would prevent the federal government from financial collapse under the weight of the national debt. Every citizen would benefit from this, end of quote. Well, Section 4 also asks the question, what is the project um, uh, 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 intended to accomplish? Again, Representative Christofferson answered, quote, We will have met our goal when the states are able to be called into convention under Article 5 to propose a fiscal responsibility amendment to the U.S. Constitution, end of quote. Wow. Uh, you know, does he really believe that adding a fiscal constraint amendment to the Constitution will make a difference in the U.S. House? I don't think so, Sam, because every balanced budget amendment I've seen has a loophole through which Congress would be able to slip if they really wanted to, right? Some national emergency or some war time, you know, they have, they're, 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 war is endless. We're in endless war. So if they put that loophole in, then Congress will be easily be able to slip through that. Well, I did a little more digging, and I found a piece of correspondence from the Phoenix Commission, uh, Phoenix Correspondence Commission, dated September 21 of 23. Right, that's just last September. The president of the commission, by the way, is none other than Representative Ken Ivory, of Utah, who serves as president of the commission. So think about this, Sam. You've got Christofferson recommending that Utah taxpayers give fifty thousand dollars to an organization where Representative Ken Ivory is the president of. It's a private organization. It's not a government entity. It's a private organization. It just makes me uh, a little bit angry. Well, shame uh, on Ken Ivory and shame on these folks literally swearing an oath to the supreme law of the land and then basically using the loophole to undermine it. Glenn Beck's even come to his senses on this. Uh, we hope others do as well, Lol. Yeah, Glenn Beck uh, wrote the following in September of 22. That's just two years uh, ago. He says, quote, I've been a supporter of the Article 5 Convention of States. I've been a pretty big supporter, a vocal supporter. I am reversing that today because after some real thought and prayer, 
We are not the people to open up this sacred document. We are not the people. That was a God-inspired document that was divinely written. You can read that from I don't know how many founders. The very hand of God was involved. <clears throat> End of quote. Uh, oh, no, no, continuing the quote. He says, Benjamin Franklin even said that. The very hand of God was involved in writing that document. Do you believe that we could send that kind of delegate today? Someone who, when they got to be to an impasse, would somebody like Ben Franklin would say, let's, let's pause and go to church and pray. They did not. Politic, they prayed. I am not for opening up that Constitution anymore because we are not that people anymore. End of Amen quote. to Glenn Beck. I'm finally grateful he's come to his senses. And again, this is where we need to keep working because more and more people are waking up to the true realities of this. I've been against a con-con from the beginning, but others are coming to their senses. Even uh, Janine Hansen in Nevada writes about this, right? That's right. She is the Eagle Forum National Constitutional Issues Chairman. And uh, she cited an article by Ch uh, Karen Schumacher that exposes how the Convention of States has violated campaign spending laws in states around the country, states like Montana. And she goes into great detail in her article uh, describing the shenanigans played by Convention of States. Uh, COS, by the way, is an organization, Convention of States. It's a private organization. Basically, Mark Meckler and his cohorts, they want to have this, uh, this Article 5 convention. And uh, she writes about all the laws they've broken and uh, then she asks the question, where do billionaires get off thinking they can, through their wealth, have the ability to change the course of a country and how people should live, vote, and even think? Can they, can they not find a better, more positive way in which to spend their riches? Surely, somewhere, there's some kids who need new shoes and clothes. <laughs> Just, you know, it's amazing. Janine must she be amazing. She puts truth to power, all right. Yeah, I've never met her, but I'd sure like to do that. Well, Sam... Our job is to scrutinize every aspect of what our public servants do and who they are choosing to follow. That's our job, folks. We need to scrutinize every aspect of what they do and who they are choosing to follow. Sam? Here's a big shout-out to all truth-tellers. Thank you so much, and God bless every one of you. I'm just telling you right now from the Liberty Roundtable team, thank, thank, thank you. Lowell Nelson, one of them. Liberty, uh, loving, Wow. CampaignForLiberty.org is the website. <laughs> Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org. LovingLiberty.net is our nationally syndicated radio network. LibertyRoundtable.com is my website. Donate to all of us liberally. Every penny will be used because we're truth tellers. And we'll use our funding, that sacred funding, for that purpose alone. God save the Republic of the United States of America.